listening to episode 24 of the Comics Pals. We are a group of friends and comic book journalists who've decided to record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. If you don't hear me on the next two episodes, these guys did something to me. <laughs> Phil, first of all, don't put that in the listeners' minds. No conspiracies here. Second of all, if I wanted to do something to you, I would have done it already. <laughs> maybe I did. And maybe it was a private moment that happened when we were at Pete's house and we were the only two people in the room. <laughs> Such a visual joke for people that could not see it. The best part is like they'll never see the motion that you made to turn your head and not spit on your computer monitor. <laughs> You're like, how do I do a spit the take without wrecking the microphone? <laughs> oh, man, we're in rare fucking form this morning, boys. <laughs> Phil, you're such a ham. That's right. It's, uh, it's, I feel like it's been a while since I've done this. It's only been a week, uh, but I'm happy to be back. Uh, Pete, thank you for, yes, thank you for, you know, taking care of things in my steed. Uh, last week was a really enjoyable episode, even without Marco and I, but we are here now, and given that Marco <laughs> is the favorite, hey. the pals are back in town. Uh, well, this should be a great episode. Yeah, mostly Marco's back in town. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> another, vi- another visual joke there that no one will see. So, if you want to keep up with us, there are many ways to do so. You can reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Comics Pals, where we would love to hear from you. You can write to us on there. Uh, you can hit us up on iTunes, where we are a five-star rated podcast, for which we are very, very, very proud. Uh, and we are on all the other podcast, the major podcast networks. You can find us on those. Uh, YouTube is a very important part of what we do here. And if you listen to us on YouTube, please be sure to like the video, share it with your friends, and subscribe to the channel. Uh, those shares are super important, so please do share this thing with your buddies. Uh, and Gmail. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. You can write into us about random questions, uh, and we will definitely do them for you if you if you let us know what you want to hear. Um, you can write into us about main topics. You can let us know why Phil is your least favorite pal. Uh, all these things you can <laughs> oh, let no. us know about in the Gmail, which is thecomicspals at gmail.com. Five-star <laughs> <laughs> <Five> podcast. <laughs> Damn right. We are indeed a five-star podcast, Phil. I, I want to dive into the what, we've, what we're reading segment uh, because I feel like we've got a lot to say. Uh, I'm going to start because I, I probably had the most eventful week. Says uh, so you. Those of you don't, <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe one of Kale's friends had a baby. I don't know. Ooh, now, maybe. <laughs> I, I, for those of you who don't know... I was in Florida. I spent uh, six days in Florida. I went to WrestleMania, which was very Woo. exciting. Yes, I saw some some famous people. What? Uh, Al Roker walked right by me, which was Whoa. not even remotely exciting. <laughs> um, I saw some fellow podcasters, Peter Rosenberg and Sam Roberts. Um, so WrestleMania was a lot of fun. We're still planning on doing a review episode 
Unfortunately, because I was gone for so long, uh, we didn't have the chance to do that during the week, but it is coming, as is the Iron Fist uh, review the second half. I appreciate these guys for holding off on that while Marco and I were gone, because we have a lot to say about the show, and the review is coming, so stay tuned for that as well. Um, so, and uh, yeah, the WrestleMania episode is, is on the way. So, outside of WrestleMania, I spent a lot of time in Universal Studios, which is an amazing place for those of you who don't know it does have a huge marvel presence there's a whole um section dedicated to marvel in islands of adventure so i got on the spider-man ride which i've done a million times in my life uh <clears throat> i got on the shoot what other marvel rides did i get on i actually didn't get on any other ones because the only other ones they have are the doctor doom ride which is a little scary for me and the incredible hulk <clears throat> which is horrifying and I feel like I might die on that ride. <laughs> so I avoided that one as Dude, well. Dude, I'm also terrified of roller coasters. I like they and like people make fun of me for it all the time, but like I'm not a thrill seeker like that, you know? Like that shit just freaks me out most of the time. So is that why you didn't watch WrestleMania, which was the ultimate thrill? Ride? Exactly. I can't <laughs> handle it. My heart is weak. The only exception I make to the theme uh, park thing though is at Disney World, because I'm confident that they like they're not gonna get sued. You know, like they're not going to let a ride be dangerous enough to, for me to get hurt. And if I do, I'm going to get that Disney money. So, yeah. Hey, the bestie with the yeah, special that's absolutely true. The homecoming movie. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, so, other than that, I did the Harry Potter section, which if you're a Harry Potter fan, is a lot of fun. It feels like you're there. So, that's really exciting. Um, I, I, I did some reading, too, actually, while I was in the Harry Potter in section. Florida. <laughs> <clears throat> Not in the Harry Potter section. Reread Order of uh, the but Phoenix. I, I, oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I did some comic reading. I read Wonder Woman by Greg Rucka, the original run, uh, the first volume, which was awesome. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. It's slower than the current run by quite a bit, but it does give you more of a concrete history about the character, and you know, so it introduces you to the Furies, which. I had no idea who they were. It introduces you to Ares and Zeus and the other gods. Uh, and it presents them more human than I'm used to. So that was interesting. Uh, really, just a really good run. The second volume is not out yet in trade form. So I'm waiting for that. Which is weird because this is actually a really old uh, series. Uh, I think it, I think it's from the yeah, it's from the mid-2000s. So uh, it just hasn't been re- re- reissued in graphic novel huh. format. So I'm waiting for that. But I also read Irredeemable. Yo, really? Uh, yes. Yes. So the, the quick backstory is that when we went to visit Pete, we went to a comic book store, Pete's favorite store. Wait, shout out to the record store I in New Jersey. Dope, dope ass yeah, store. Really cool. Very cool, by the way. Awesome yeah. little store. If you're in, if you live um, in New Jersey area, definitely worth the drive. Dude, they, they just have they have back issues for fucking days. They do vinyl. They have like all kinds of collectibles. Funko Pops, like everything, like it's a it's a really dope shop. Yeah, it was a great place. And so when I went in there, I told Phil, "Hey, you pick out a book and I will buy it." And then Pete co-opted that and said, "No, buy this." <laughs> and I thought Invincible sounded cool, so I picked it up. I picked up Not the Invincible, premier irredeemable. edition. Irredeemable, sorry. Yeah, uh, I picked up the premier edition, and uh, it, it is amazing. Uh, Pete, you didn't steer me wrong. Yes, it's a. F- fantastic series it's great actually yeah it really is when i got back one of the first things that i did was i went on a particular website and i 
purchase the next two volumes. So I'm really excited about this series. Uh, if you've never read this book, you really should pick it up. It's by Mark Wade and Peter Krauss, and Boom Studios is the publisher. It's a really unique take on superhero stories, and it's kind of you know what happens if the greatest superhero in the world goes bad, which is something we've seen done with Superman and you know different characters like that. But this goes all the way. You know there are no take backs with this series. Thus the name Irredeemable. So, really good stuff. Check it out if you haven't. Also, um, when you're done with that, definitely check out Incorruptible. That's like the sister series. It's basically the the villain or one of the, the arch villains of this guy um, becomes a superhero because <clears throat> he essentially has this kind of like crisis of conscience where he was like, you know, I was never evil. I was just kind of like a crook. And But like when, when Superman, you know, becomes evil, when God becomes evil, you know, it's like... There's no room for like to be a petty criminal or to be an asshole. You know, he's like, I, if I if I can stop him, because he's got like unbreakable like Luke Cage kind of skin. So he's one of the only people that can actually like fight him. You know, so it's it's really cool. Great, it's a great uh great flip. Yeah, I I'm really excited about that that whole universe that Mark Wade created. It's cool, man. You know, I mean, they're both fantastic series. I bet. Um, Marco, since you were also away, why don't you tell us what you did? So yeah, I had gone down to DC, um, but the um, comic company, nice buddy. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I was trying out, getting into their marketing department. You know, some got to start somewhere, right? Um, All right. So, um, but yeah, I went to DC for the weekend, so that's why I wasn't here in the last episode. Um, but I did a ton of reading because the week prior I had gotten, I shared it on the Instagram account. I'd gotten five uh, different uh, different books, and then um, I read mostly all of them. I think I only have to catch up on three or four. So I read a manga series, I Am a Hero, um, graphic novel, Black Hole, The Ninja Turtles, uh, Prophet, and The Sheriff of Babylon. And, which uh, uh, which Ninja Turtles series? The new one, or...? Yeah, yeah, the newest one where Kevin Eastman like comes back. The nice. first volume of the new one, right? <clears throat> yeah, the first volume and, of the yeah. new one. And that's IDW is doing that now, right? Or yeah, IDW yeah. is doing that. Yeah, and uh, me and Kay were talking about it. It was it's pretty cool because they kind of Kevin Eastman, who's the original creator, like kind of redoes the origin story. Yeah, it's like kind of does... like original Return of the Roots kind of book, right? Yeah, yeah. There's actually this one scene um, where Raphael's like walking around and he picks up a Cowabunga shirt. And he's like, nope. And like throws it to the side because <laughs> like it's like it's just a really good representation. Of just like throwing that stuff to the wayside. And um, yeah, other than that, I just picked up a bunch of horror stuff. Uh, Black Hole I was talking about in the chat is a book about like an STD that kind of ravages people who get it. And I'm sorry, did you say an STD? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you've been you've been taking those uh, uh, recommendations from Murphy, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, oh, oh, I know that 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 wasn't a joke. Yeah, who else? Who else would recommend a comic about an STD that ravages people? <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that I wanted to comment on was the art style. Um, it was really cool how Charles Byrne sort of um transitions between characters. Because a lot, a lot of the time, uh, it doesn't focus on a single character. It focuses on maybe three or four. But what 
he does is instead of just shifting the scene, he'll do it sometimes in like a dream sequence. And so somebody would be sleeping and dreaming, but it'll be things that are uh, representative of that person. So like somebody who always wears a watch, the watch will be floating in the dream or somebody who had recently talked about like a fish skeleton or something. It'll be, it'll be swimming around in the dream and then it'll kind of go black and then enter somebody else's, um, somebody else's dream and it'll be that person might have um, like a, a kind of shoe or some kind of shirt, something that like signifies them. And so it was just really, really cool art style. Um, I finished I Am Hero, which is a manga series. Well, the first omnibus, at least of it. And it's pretty sick. Yeah, that's about it, I think. Those were the only ones I wanted to call out. And maybe profit for being a really dope sci-fi book. Nice. All right, Pete. Um, I read a ton this week. I read, I think, like uh, I don't know, like forty issues of comics or something like that. Um, but uh, I finished up Vision, um, which was fantastic. Um, I'm late to that party, but I mean, yeah, the hype was well deserved. I thought it was great. Um, I uh, I also read Sheriff of Babylon as well, uh, but I read both. I finished it up, so I got through uh, all twelve issues of that. And, um, it, it was really cool because I, I know there's been a lot of talk around how there's kind of like that unofficial Tom King trilogy, but now to have like, to like be on the other side of it and have read all three of them. Um, there's a lot of like, obviously there's like a through line, I guess that you can make about it, you know, like about his relationship to war or whatever. But like the things that I see that are similar in them are really cool. Um, like the way that it like uses the Bible and like every single one of them, like there's an element of religion in every single one of the stories, which is cool, but like it actually uses passages from the Bible. So like that gives them all a kind of cohesive feel. But then even just like the way that they're scripted is very kind of similar. Um, he uses a lot of the same like panel structures or like page layouts and stuff. And it gives it this same kind of pacing. Like I got this feeling um, when I was reading uh, Sheriff of Babylon specifically that like it directly reminded me of Omega Men and like they're not similar at all you know like the stories are not similar the you know obviously the settings are and the characters are very different but like the like using the um the nine panel layout and stuff like that and just the way the way that the the stories kind of just play out in terms of like the way that they feel the way that like you get the the feed and the reveal the feed and the reveal you know like they have a very similar kind of vibe um and i i don't know if i i'm if i hadn't come into that if i would have necessarily like excuse me that's not what i meant to say i don't know if i hadn't come into sheriff of babylon maybe expecting there to be some cohesion like that would have been the case but i read vision in between the two of them so i definitely think that those parallels are more clear than that you know what i mean because like since I read Vision as like kind of a palate cleanser, um, that doesn't feel like those other two books. You know, it, it definitely has a much different flow to it. And uh, I, I'm just really appreciating how much range that Tom King has. Because I just started reading uh, his run of Batman as well. And that's so different. It's so much lighter. Um, and like the, the issues are just like way breezier, you know? Like Omega Men and... and um, and Sheriff of Babylon both felt like very dense and not in a bad way, but just like in a way that was appropriate for the subject matter that they were dealing with. And like, 
Vision felt like kind of somewhere in between those that level of Tom King and then what we're getting on or what I've seen in the three or four issues I've gotten into of Batman. Um, so I'm just I'm blown away by Tom King. It's like definitely such a huge fan, and I can't wait to check out the rest of Batman this week. Um, so that's that's pretty much it for me. Cool. Uh, Phil. So this is a this has been a busy week, obviously, because this is when pretty much every indie promotion has its WrestleMania as well. So most of my weekend last weekend after the episode we recorded was spent watching uh, Ring of Honor, WrestleMania, um, you know, NXT, all that stuff. Um, So the only thing I had the opportunity to read was the first six issues of Sheriff of Babylon, which I know Pete kind of covered, but um, I mean, tonally it's, I mean, the most comfortable book that, I, I, it's more like Omega Men than Vision in my mind from from what I've read so far. But um, I mean, it's it's real special how in short order all these books that he wrote and published are so unique. But you know, what? we'll go into that when we do the Tom King episode. So that's uh, that's it for me. But when I uh, when I come on next week, because I'm not going anywhere unless something bad happens to me. <clears throat> uh i'll uh i'll have read more cool kale sure i did uh quite a bit this week uh i read uh uh both yeah i finished the visions uh i'm i'm slogging through this uh the legion of superheroes uh great darkness saga um it's man those old comics are hard to get through for me because they're like like i i i for me like old comics are like going back and listening to like the beatles or like old like it's just what? like i i, I no, know hang on like i get it i understand i understand it's important it's just like we've come so far it's not for me <laughs> so oh my I god i love like, how just like all like three of us all immediately were just like snap like what so where can we find you on social media so that everyone can literally <laughs> harass you for talking shit on the beatles you can you can find me at uh cyborg bebop <laughs> Dude, <laughs> son of a bitch <laughs> uh but i also uh i finished iron fist and man that show is full of disappointment uh but we'll talk about that uh at, you know when the time comes um i also finished the super nintendo uh power rangers game uh which was a lot of fun just uh walking around beating uh beating people up as a power ranger last night kale was like is this what it's like to be phil and being like contrarian and after shooting on the beatles and now talking shit on iron fist it's like, I know how you guys feel when you talk to me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, I started um, Common Writer Forza. I'm, uh, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wading into this band, this Bandai universe. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm going to try it out, see how that feels. Cool. Cool. So. Sounds good. It sounds like we all had, you know, busy weeks. A lot of a lot of comics. I like to hear that. Uh, before we dive into the random question of the week, we do have some reader comments that we want to read. So, Pete, take it away. I guess that means it's time for reader mail. Okay. All right. So yeah, we've got a <laughs> uh, we've we've got a couple old uh, comments. These are all from iTunes, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Right, I just want to double check that. All right. So, yeah, we got a couple we didn't get to. So, um, a little this, a little that on iTunes back in December said, I love this podcast. I'm a real comics fan and I love podcasts that are personality driven. So, the Comics Pals is the show for me. They showcase their personalities on the image cover. Uh, they work hard to be inclusive and fun all at the same time. Thank you for that comment and the five star rating. Um, so then we have this one's from Grandma Pal, who uh, we all we've all talked about before. So this is from Kale's grandma. She said, "I wish there was captions." I'm a grandma of one of the pals, and I sure wish I could listen, but I don't hear very well. I sure wish there was a way to put captions on this thing, because all, all I hear is nya nya nya, <laughs> but they sure sound like good boys. <laughs> Thanks, grandma. Thanks, grandma, pal. That's good. Uh, and then we got our last one is from Nick Thunderbender, who said, incredible analysis. Incredible. In- incre- Actually, it's incredible, but... But that's okay. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. We appreciate the we appreciate the review. Thanks for listening in. And if you guys want to hear your reader mail read on the air, you can send us an email at thecomicspals at gmail.com or hit us up on at thecomicspals on Twitter, Instagram, hit us up on Facebook, any of that stuff. Send in a message. We will read it on the air. Oh, comments too if you're on Facebook or SoundCloud. Yeah, we appreciate those. And don't take the fact that we're late to getting to these to mean we will be late to getting to yours. We endeavor to be better about reading your comments on the air. So with that, I believe it's time for... The Random Question of the Week! Uh, So this week I'm up and I've got a fun one. So the question is, what creative team would you like to see tackle a particular character for a 12-issue arc? So what I'm asking you is, you put a creative team together of a writer and an artist, you pick a character, and those two creators are going to write for that character, write and draw for that character for 12 issues. Pete, you seem very excited and gung-ho, so why don't you take us away? I just, I just had a thought. Okay, so here's what I want. I want Tom King to write and Ryan Otley uh, from Invincible, since Invincible's rapping, to write, or to draw, rather. And I honestly don't even give a fuck who the character is. I just want them to work together. Like, well, it could be complete the mental image for me. Give me a character. I'm trying to think of like who, who could Tom King have something good to say with? Well, I know, I know. While Omega Man was completing, a lot of people wanted him to do Green Lantern. I yeah, that's what I was about mm. to say. His uh, his uh, Power of the Gods uh, Hal Jordan short was really really good. Yeah, he does like he does like the cosmic stuff. That might be cool. I don't know. I maybe I'd like him to do a Marvel character though, just because like he does a lot of DC stuff. And Vision was really cool. Hmm. Okay, come back to me on the character. I'm gonna I'm gonna like let this one stew a little bit. All right, I'll go next because I I feel like I've got a solid one, and it, and maybe it'll inspire you, Pete. I'm going with Tom King. And Steve McNeven on Captain America. Oh, that's a good call. That's a good one. That's a, that's really a real good, good one. call. Nice. Holy shit. How did I not go to Captain America when I was like, who's a Marvel character that Tom King could use? Motherfucking Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that would be phenomenal. I really feel like he would have a lot of good things to say yeah. on Cap. Totally. Um, yeah. Phil, you want to go next? All right, I haven't really grown over this, but my first thought was Morrison, classic, <laughs> quietly classic, yeah. and the book was Daredevil. Ooh, Ooh. 
interesting. I thought about Gran on huh. Daredevil. Yeah, because Daredevil's probably my second favorite comic book character. Um, Morrison doesn't have a super extensive bibliography with Marvel, and uh, I mean, know how good his um, Batman was, and I think, I think he would have a good spin on Daredevil. Um, so make it happen. I think that'd be fun. And just to quickly comment on that, Daredevil Daredevil has similarities with Batman. Besides the obvious, you know, everyone always says Daredevil's a Batman analog. Uh, he's got some zany history yeah. to him, and I think Grant Morrison could really play with that. Yeah. So yeah, I think that'd be. Interesting. I imagine that villain of the first arc would be like Stilt Man. <laughs> no, dude, he he'll do. What was what was the who was the fake twin brother that Matt created for himself? Mike. Mike, he'll he'll bring back Mike Murdoch. No, Mike Murdoch <laughs> will wow. become a split personality. But yeah, right. He'll like, be yeah, exactly. he'll be a real person. Yeah, Marco. Um. So for me, uh, I'd like to see Neil Gaiman and my like current favorite artist Tyler Crook, just because uh, Tyler Crook and the and Harrow County. I always talk about it. It's based around. Basically, like the swamp and the mud, there's a bunch of violence and like blood. So I just feel it'd be really good and uh, way to visualize the area that Swamp Thing's in. And Neil Gaiman, of course, is or like one of my favorite writers. And Man, so yeah, you know who I'd love to see do a book, a Swamp Thing book with Neil Gaiman would be Fiona Staples, because she like mm. loves doing the nature oh. stuff and like she has that like watercolor look to her like coloring and everything. I don't feel like she'd be the right fit, though. Because it's, like, too, like... She doesn't do, like, the horror aspect of it well enough, you think? Yeah, yeah. If it was going to be a horror... Oh, dude, Plaid Klaus. Ooh, that might be good. And, like, in a black and white series, Plaid Klaus on Daredevil Black and White. That'd be tight. That'd be cool, yeah. I have have an idea for a Swamp Thing team, actually. Um, It would have to be, like, a 10-year epic. And the the writer would be Scott Lobdell... (laughs) And the artist would be Rob Liefeld. I'm out. Nope. No, 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 no. Soil it, sir. Nope. Ten years. Light that shit on fire. Nope. Right along from that. At the end of it, Swamp Thing is removed from continuity forever. I mean, that'd be good. That'd be that'd be for the better, honestly. I wish I wish Scott Lobdell would was removed from continuity forever. Uh, so I think I came up with my character that I would that I would use for my series. I think I'm gonna go with Wolverine since you already took the superior oh. option of Cap. But I think Wolverine. I think. Uh, oh, and Tom King. Tom King could do Ooh, a really cool Wolverine yeah. story. That would be mind blowing. I think, um, like specifically taking it from the angle, like my favorite way that Wolverine is portrayed. You know, where it's like he's like this man who's a weapon, who's like you know trying to fight against his animalistic nature, pair him with a young teenage girl X-Man, you know, like, that's, that. I think Tom King would nail that to the wow. fucking wall. <laughs> Sean's mind is blown. I just saw his reaction. He was like, yeah. whoa. That's yeah, dude. And then you got, and then you got my man Otley on, on pencils on that shit, and it's like, I, you're fucking, you're set. I don't know nice. why I mentally pictured this, but when you said Tom King on uh, Wolverine, and considering like Sheriff of Babylon or Mega Man, this pictured the story of Wolverine fighting in the Vietnam War, and I kind of got real chubby 
with my Vita. It's like, dude, I, I, <laughs> that would be actually that'd be a great mini series. It could be, yeah. it could be something like that, or like everyone could be him in a different war. Oh, right. Oh, oh my god. This is where the pals brainstorm great ideas for books right? too. I guess it's like, hey, Tom King, what up? <laughs> Hit us up. Take it. Take it. Take it. Just give me. Just please <laughs> take the idea. Uh, just please give me uh give me some kind of like i don't need like a production credit just give me like a nod somewhere like put like a comics pals hoodie on someone or something like <laughs> this book is dedicated to pete and bessie that was, uh, dude i would shit my motherfucking pants so the, the little girl sidekick of wolverine that book has pete's haircut and glasses yeah oh, oh my god yeah. it's just jubilee but she's got my hair <laughs> that could work uh kale I don't have a great answer for this because my gut reaction is me. <laughs> uh. <laughs> okay, so Kale Ward and who's the artist? I don't. It doesn't matter. Let Letty, Letty, I guess. Oh, um, <laughs> I guess. Uh, <laughs> it's just uh, you know that stuff is it's it's hard coming. My most frequent collaborator, I guess. It's you know it's it's hard coming from from this angle. I guess one uh, one thing I think it would be cool to see would be like uh, Morrison on Iron Fist. Huh. Oh, oh man, I, I think insane. he yeah he would he would dive into the the cool mystical elements of Kunlun. Uh, you know, in the way that you know Fraction and Brubaker sorted almost did. Um, but I think he would go deeper, and I think it would be really good. I think wow. that book would get really yeah, weird. I think that'd be cool. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I put, I think I'd put Aja on it, but I'd put Aja on everything. Like, I'm thinking of the Invisibles right now, when you think of that, when you mention that. And, like, that's when he got abducted by aliens in uh, Kathmandu. And, like, I think that's what would really go into Iron Fist. Yep. You know, and uh, another one that just came to mind off of what Kale said was, um, I can't remember the name of the the Spidey book that's coming out by uh, Zdarsky. Anybody remember? That's uh, it, that's spectacular, isn't is it? it? I think I'm it's pr- something like I'm that. pretty sure it is. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a familiar uh, Spider-Man title, I think. But either way, I would love if it was him and Fraction on that. So I think Fraction would definitely be a good fit for Spidey. Mm, interesting. He has that. He has that sense of humor. You know. He did a um, yeah, it is spectacular, Spider. Okay, yeah, the two of uh, them on that would be great. Sex Fraction is, is great. Uh, so. Fraction did a post. I think it was a post Civil War Spider Man right after uh, Aunt May was killed, and it was an annual, and it was just like an an introspective look for uh, Mary Jane and Peter on their marriage and stuff, and it was really really good. That's awesome. What's weird to that, me about yeah. this conversation is that Pete's been dancing around his obvious answer, which is Dan Slott and Joe K. Seda on all Spider-Man books. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense because neither of them is an artist, and I hate you. <laughs> Joe's, yeah, an Joe's an artist. Oh, yeah. Really? He did. He did one more day. Really? Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and uh, he's. He did, I mean, he's good. He's talented. He did Guardian yeah. Devil, the Kevin Smith Daredevil book. I didn't know that. That's funny because I I read that book too. So obviously the pals have a lot of thoughts about uh, creative teams we'd like to see tackle books. 
I would love to know what you guys at home, the pals at home, want to see. So if you guys have ideas for creative teams that you want to see on a particular character, do let us know. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And all the social media stuff that we already mentioned, we would love to hear from you on that front, or any front, really. So do hit us up. And if you do have a random question that you want us to read on the air, you can reach out to us and we will do that for you. Uh, so now we're going to jump into the news, another huge news week, uh, so I'm really excited to talk about some of this stuff, and we're going to start with maybe the biggest piece that dropped this week, which is that there is officially an Invincible movie on the way. We can move <clears> on <throat> from this. Oh, oh my god, I hate you guys. I hate you. I can't believe you were going to talk about the Squirrel Girl TV show first. Right? That's huge. <laughs> You're all monsters. So it was announced by Skybound that Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg will write, direct, and produce the film adaptation for Universal. Uh, Robert Kirkman promises that Rogen and Goldberg are the perfect filmmakers for the project, and the comic's surprising, edgy, shocking, and oftentimes blood-soaked story couldn't be in more capable hands. Uh, So for those of you who don't know, actually... I'll let Pete do this because Pete is the Invincible guy here. So why don't you give us a brief history of Invincible and then tell us your thoughts. Sure. Actually, I'd like to hear Marco do it first. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I like your thinking, Kale. So Invincible is the story of um, this kid with like goggly Marco? things. Marco. And he flies Marco? or something. <laughs> he looks lightly. like Superman. Tread he's drawn, lightly. He, he's drawn by, was it Brian Botley? Something like that. Oh and... Um, <laughs> Uh, written by Crappy Kirkman. Um, <laughs> no, Pete, Pete has left Pete, the show. Pete's left. Back. He threw Pete. off his headphones. He flipped us all off. Pete, I love you. Guys, I don't understand. It's like we're do we're doing this over the internet. Why didn't he just shut the camera off? He left. He left his own house. <laughs> I'm back. Okay, now that we got the boy, fan oh fiction version of <laughs> Invincible from Marco, why don't we get the real version from Pete? Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Well, now you took the wind out of my sails. <laughs> okay. So, for those of you who don't know, Invincible is um, Robert Kirkman's uh, com- superhero comic. It's been running for six months longer than The Walking Dead, so I think it's like going on 11 or 12 years now. I can't even keep track. But um, it's uh, it's like a superhero story with a distinct kind of like it's got a very classic kind of vibe in a lot of ways. But it's a very modern kind of superhero story um, grounded in as much as a superhero story kind of can be. It's a, you know, a world where like death is permanent, all that kind of stuff. And the elevator pitch for it is um, Mark uh, Grayson is the son of basically a Superman like figure named Omni-Man. He's an alien. He is earth's greatest superhero he's the leader of like a justice league style team and um you know mark is his half human half viltrumite is the uh the race that they're from uh son he ends up getting his powers and kind of trying to step into his father's footsteps and like learn to be earth's great next superhero and um there's not much more i can say about the book without spoiling major plot points that i would not want to do for those of you who haven't read it so if you haven't read the book i highly recommend it it's my favorite comic so i definitely can't speak highly about it enough um as for how i feel about this adaption i'm like really really cautiously optimistic um the fact that like robert kirkman 
you know, it's Skybound's the one producing it and everything. Like he's got his hands on it. Like makes me feel confident. You know, I don't, I don't think that he would pick a team that's not appropriate for it. I mean, like there was like two or three times over the last decade or whatever where Invincible has almost been made into a movie. And uh, every time I've ever like been at a place where I could ask him, I've asked him about it. And um, he's always said that the whole thing was they were never, ever going to move forward on it unless he found the perfect team because he would rather there be no Invincible movie than a bad Invincible movie. So um, the fact that they're moving forward on it, that he seems so confident about it uh, makes me feel bold about it. But like... I'm not super confident in the team of, of Seth Rogen and, and um, I can't remember his first name, but Goldberg. Oh, yeah. Uh, Evan? Evan Goldberg. Evan Goldberg. Evan Goldberg. Thank you. Because um, I, I like I like Seth Rogen uh, just fine. I'm not like a hater of, of their work or anything like that. Um, I watched a few episodes of Preacher and I liked it fine, but I didn't um, – I think the fact that like it didn't really get its hooks in me is kind of what has me concerned is like – they did a, a fairly good job of like nailing the aesthetic of it. I like the people they got for the different roles and stuff, but I don't know. I'm just nervous that it's not going to be quite what I want because I have really, really high doubts about like how they'll be able to adapt Invincible into a satisfying movie. You know, like the comic is over well over a hundred issues at this point. There's several different story arcs and it's like, are they just going to do the very first story arc? You know, like this, they're, like they're never going to get like, an invincible like quadrology or whatever right like i don't think they're going to make like five or six invincible movies so like how far in the story are really re- even realistically going to get with like a film franchise you know and like i wonder if we're ever even going to get to the stuff that really makes the the book unique rather than just the foundational kind of stuff that is good but it's that setup to get to the stuff that's really really cool and high concept you know I yeah I I get that concern for sure. <clears throat> I mean the quotes that that we have here. Uh, I mean Robert Kirkman sounds like like he's, he's high he said, on these guys. So yeah, he he said he's very confident this will be another superhero movie in a long line of superhero movies that continues to prove that it's a viable thrilling genre that will keep people coming back to the cinema for years to come. That sounds a little you know pre, but. I know that this series is important to Robert. He deliberately is choosing to end it with issue 144, which is coming soon. Uh, and, you know, he, he this, is his, this is his baby. So I really feel like he's not the kind of guy who would sell out and put out a movie that he didn't believe in. So if he believes in Rogan and Goldberg, then I'm choosing to believe in them as well. But it's easy for me to say that as not someone who is a fan of this the way you are. And that's that's where I'm kind of coming down on it. Is like I know like I might sound like I'm being a little negative, but like I'm really not. Like I really do. I want to put my faith in these guys. I trust Robert, but I have concerns. You know, it's like I really love Invincible and I want this to be great. I want it to be perfect because I want Invincible to be like more than what it is you know like it's great and i love that it's got the cult success that it had that allowed it to exist for over 10 years but like i really think it's like an all-time great superhero story that not many people have read and like this movie is going to be the easiest way to get people to check it out and like it's going to be over by the time this comes out so like there's no concern that this this movie franchise like you know, ruins the comic or any of the other cynical shit that people always say about it. You know, it's like, it's going to exist and be done and be its own thing. And it would be really cool if, you know, we can like get some more eyes on it and get people to check it out. So 
I'm super excited for it, but I don't want to get on the hype train just yet. You know, I want to see a trailer. I want to, I want a little bit more like on the table before I like really like bite down, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. You know, we just don't know enough. But again, I'm I'm optimistic. Like if Robert's this, you know, into this team, then I'm sure it's, you know, I'm sure we've got the right guys for the job. All right. Uh, so moving right along, we learned this week that the Spider-Man Homecoming sequels will also be set in high school. Uh, so Tom Holland was interviewed and he said that he is he said this. I'm sure that th- that that is the formula they're going to take. Peter is 15 in this movie and that would make him in grade 10. Wait, what? And yeah, he's 15. Yeah, dude. I didn't know that they were going full ultimate Spider-Man on this shit. That's awesome. And My yeah, God, I'm so graduating. fucking happy right now. <laughs> the, the, the end of the quote is, and yeah, I see him graduating towards the last movie. So it's essentially going to be a Harry Potter type of scenario where each movie will be a different year in school. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Why? I want to hear what you guys think. <laughs> I'm so excited. That's great. I, I like we've. I don't know. That's always been my big problem with the Spider-Man movies is I feel like they don't focus enough on, like, the teenage aspect of Peter. Like, even Amazing Spider-Man, like, they have, like, a fucking almost 30-year-old man playing him, you know? And he's, like, a senior in high school, and it's, like, it's not really the focus. And, like, the idea that we're going to get three whole movies of him having to deal with, like, high school-level problems, I think is, like, that's ideal. You know, like, that's the character's bread and butter in my mind. No, he's like having to deal with math homework and stuff. Like that's just stuff that even in the early comics, he'd have to be like, "Oh, I gotta do homework. I have, you know, it, like I have a test." Just, yeah, like it's just normal things that makes him something very likable, something that you can just compare yourself to. It's like oh, I've been through that. I, I get that. Also, like I think that there's like teenage superheroes are one of the things that makes Marvel like special. Because, like, uh, I know, Phil, before you make your fucking face, no, I know, like, DC has had plenty of teenage superheroes, and they did it well before that, but it was, like, sidekicks. You know, it's, like, Spider-Man was, like, unique for, like, being a, you know, like, a teenager, and it's, like, that, there are, like, no, like, uh, film adaptions right now of any teenage superheroes except for the X-Men, and even that, we've all talked about ad nauseum how the main characters are not the young kids. It's Professor X and Magneto and Wolverine, so I'm excited by this. Phil? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> After all that facial stuff you just did, that's your reaction. I explained myself. <laughs> I'm, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, I feel kind of lukewarm about three movies about Spider-Man in high school because I kind of like Spider-Man. I, you know, I, I, I kind of like Spider-Man uh, outside of high school a lot. I like him in college. I like him um outside of college i like you know growing up peter parker i mean i get why they're doing it and like i don't have any qualms with that so i mean i don't have a ton to say uh on that on that front just all right that's that's fine go for it yeah i think we we haven't gotten to see you know the thing about spider-man is everyone everyone always says that he you know is this quintessential everyman uh, and in at least in you know like American media, high school is like an everyman situation, you know, for the most part. 
Um, so it's it's really interesting that we we haven't gotten to see Spider-Man in high school in like this major medium yet, because like that's where you get your growing up problems. I mean, he was in high school in Spider-Man One and Amazing Spider-Man One. And I had never saw Amazing Spider-Man 2, but I'm assuming he was in high school in Amazing Spider-Man 2. No, they graduated. Okay. So, I mean, it's been, but, it's but, been done. But what I'm saying is we haven't, we haven't seen them spend time there. Yeah, like, you know? it's, he's in high school, but that's, like, more of a, like, it's just another thing that they establish. It's not, like, a thing where, like, major storylines take place. There's not, like things where you know he has like meaningful relationships with people at the school it's like he's at the school and he gets punched by flash thompson or you know he puts his fist out and knocks him across the hallway it's like it's a set piece not like a real setting that gets established and explored yeah and like that's that was the thing i really liked about spectacular spider-man the cartoon was you know it was, it was totally focused on a peter that's in high school that's new to being spider-man that's learning the ropes and is also dealing with being in school you know and like Having to help support his family. I just don't know shit. if I want that. That's all very origin story, you know? Like, it's all tied to, like, early Spider-Man. I just don't know if I want that. But, uh, no, it's not. Sp- Sp- Spider-Man's origin is he gets bit by a spider and then Uncle Ben dies. No, I know, but this is all part of early Spider-Man stuff is what I'm saying. Like, Yeah, but it's pa- well past that, though. He's already met the Avengers and stuff. And it's like, he's already, you know, it's like, I don't think we're going to be dealing with origin story issues. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I, 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 I'm in between you guys because on the one hand, I really do like young Spider-Man and I like the stories that they told with the character in the comics when he was a kid. I thought that, you know, a lot of that stuff was really great. Um, but I also really, really love Spider-Man as a grown man. Uh, I love his adult relationship with Mary Jane. I love his adult problems. And the idea that we're not going to get to see that. Yeah, that's where I'm at. At least in this, yeah, that's kind of disappointing. But I also agree with Pete and Kale in the sense that, you know, we haven't spent enough time in high school with this character. Uh, and for a lot of people, that is what defines the character. Uh, or those years are what define also, the character I for mean, them. Not to mention, like, the Sam Raimi trilogy does a really good job of this t- the period that you guys are talking about. Like, of him being, like, a guy in his early 20s and, like the relationship with Mary Jane is a big focus, you know? And it's like, we got those movies and it's like, they're really good. I mean, but like, isn't it, isn't it possible that we'll get those movies eventually anyway? Sure. This trilogy is successful. Like, you know, fucking Tom Holland's young. He could play young Peter. He could play Peter Parker for fucking forever. If he wants. It's not a news item this week, but I did read that, uh, Spider-Man may actually be reverting to, uh, Back to Sony after I yeah I heard that too and someone said someone said to me uh, this week that they and this was just you know somebody I hang out with uh, they had said that Andrew Garfield is still in his Sony contract so there's a chance there's a chance he would be two Spider Man in in like the the Venom well, whatever. No, so like, okay, so there's some missing information here. Um, so like we we briefly touched on this last week, but what happened was like this whole like news item or rumor or whatever came from a quote from the woman who used to work at Sony who brokered the original deal to get Spider-Man in the MCU, and it's a limited contract, so it's for like X number of movies. So it's that after the 
two sequels it is to Homecoming or whatever, or however many Avengers movies and whatever he signed on for, then they have to rebroker that deal. So the only reason, conceivably anyway, that Spider-Man's rights would revert to Sony at that point would be if they decided, okay, well, we don't want him in the MCU anymore. We want to put him in our own, you know, whatever off-brand Marvel universe that they're trying to set up with Venom and Silver Sable and Black Cat or whatever. But assuming that those movies don't do well or that universe isn't established, this is so many years in the future by this point. You know, we're talking two... A movie that hasn't even come out yet, and then two appearances in Avengers movies, and at least one more sequel to that other Spider-Man movie. So this is like six years probably out before we really have to worry about this problem. Okay. So we'll we'll keep our eyes on that one. Uh, hopefully we don't lose Spider-Man because he's really been a breath of fresh air in the MCU. And Sony doesn't know what to do with that character. So Also, I like Tom Holland. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's good. Moving moving along, we talked about a potential uh, Batman event that was going to be coming soon uh, from DC. Well, now we know that Snyder and Capullo are attached. We finally know what their huge event is going to be that they've been you know talking about and, and speculating on for a while. It's called Dark Knight's Metal, and it's set to debut in August. Uh, so the event was revealed uh, recently at Fan Expo Dallas. And uh, this is connected to what we talked about a few weeks ago, which was, um, what was it called? Dark Knights, uh, the, what was it called? Dark Knights, shoot, uh, The Forge, Dark Days, The Forge, and Dark Days, The Casting, which are coming out on June 14th and July 12th, respectively. So those are preludes to this uh, Dark Knights metal storyline, which is going to be not grim and gritty, kind of upbeat and exciting but it's going to be a sort of nightmarish uh terror terrorizing story um that's going to build upon a lot of stuff that snyder and capullo did during their run so that's a lot of you know talk but i'm not really sure exactly what it all means but the band is getting back together from uh, snyder's batman run including uh jonathan glapion and fco uh so i'm really excited for what they're going to do with this, although we don't really know what it is. Yeah, I mean, it could be really cool. Um, I I have mixed feelings on the Snyder Capullo run, but um, I mean, they they I mean the the run is pretty good, especially in light of I think uh, the I think of like the collective books that come from like the New Fifty Two, the Snyder Capullo run was consistently one of the better ones, honestly. It's definitely solid. Whatever your opinion of it is, it's so it's a solid. Yeah, run. exactly. Like I, I have, a l- I have some qualms with it, but like it, it stands on its own two legs. I think. Um, so I'm also pretty intrigued by what happens. I, I hope it doesn't kind of undercut the what uh, Tom King and Finch are doing on Batman. You know what I mean? Like it overshadows it or something. Uh, because I, I like what they've done so far. But well, and and my understanding of this is it's going to be a a, a DC event, not just a Batman yes. event. But I'm, I'm I'm just saying, like I hope this doesn't like the their collaboration. I hope this do, that doesn't take away from uh, what they're doing on Batman. You know what I mean? So speaking to that, I do want to read uh, some quotes from Scott Snyder that kind of make me feel your concerns on a whole new level. 
Uh, he says, I've been planning metal for as long as I've been writing Batman, but this is bigger than Batman. Greg and I started dropping clues during Court of Owls. We continued through our Joker stories, and we placed our biggest hints in the run that culminated with Batman 50. And now we're back to tell a story that breaks everything apart. This will be the definitive project of our careers. Metal takes us in an entirely new direction. Greg and I will dig beneath the surface of all the stories we've told to find a place of terror and twisted nightmares. Now that sounds cool and everything, but the problem for me is that Scott Snyder is not currently the main writer on Batman. So if he's gonna do if he's gonna do something that breaks everything apart, to Phil's point, how does that affect what Tom King is doing? And does he have to change around what he's doing to react to what takes place in this event? That's kind of a concern. Yeah, um, I want to Batman. You know, quintessentially speaking, is one of those characters where you want to see an author or artist uh, or both interpretation of the character in its totality. Like in its totality, like you saw what happened in Morrison's run when editorial kind of cut the legs on it toward the end. And I mean, that run is my favorite Batman run, but it could have been even better, probably. Um, I want to see Tom King tell his full story. Um, I understand that Snyder and Capullo probably had a little left in the tank for what they wanted to do, but they left the book because I think Capullo was ready to go. Um, I believe that's what happened. I think Capullo said he, you know, he was he was tired of doing it. Um, I think he's I he had the chance to work with Mark Miller or okay. Mark Millar. I mean, which is also yeah, yeah of course, Re, uh, reborn, right? Re reborn, yeah, reborn. Um, so. I don't know, and and you know, I mean, just in general, like my feeling is Scott Snyder is always like, oh, I'm gonna make the biggest, you know, biggest, loudest Batman thing. He he wants to make every arc kind of like, um, exciting and exhilarating, and it, uh, it always feels like the payoff is a little underwhelming for each arc for the most part. That's I mean, that's how I feel at least. So that in conjunction with, uh, you know, with, with the possible conflict of interest with, with what King and Finch are doing. Uh, just a little cautious. Yeah, I I hear that. Um, but it's we don't have long to wait, so I'm excited to see what they do, and hopefully it ends up being something that's quality, regardless of how it affects the rest of the uh, the rest of what Tom King is doing over in his run. It just reminds me of Bendis in a way, you know, the way he he has a tendency to kind of not really care too much about what other people are doing, but. I don't want to label him that way before we see what. Yeah, he hasn't done anything like that yet, um, and uh, hopefully he doesn't. Like, you know, hopefully nothing like that happens. So moving right along, this is actually something that I thought was really cool. Um, so announced at WonderCon this weekend, IDW is partnering with George Takei. Oh my! To yeah, th- this is really. <laughs> oh, oh my! Oh my. Oh no. <laughs> this is the best. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who aren't familiar with who he is, which would be very surprising to me if you don't know, uh, he played Sulu on the original Star Trek. That's Mr. Sulu. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's kind of um, you know lived off that identity for the rest of his career, although he has done other things that have also been popular. Uh, he's known as Sulu. Um, and he's come into prominence more over the last few years now that social media is a big deal because he is such a great guy and such a unique individual and people really love him he's a great uh, so follow he's partnered with sorry he's a great follow <laughs> yeah yeah uh he's he's partnered with IDW to produce a graphic novel that's going to sort of tell the story of his family's 
firsthand experience during the Japanese-American internment camp situation that took place during World War II. Uh, he, yeah. Something I he talks about, about a lot yeah. publicly. Yeah, he, he has said a lot about this experience. And um, now we're going to get it in a comic book form, which I think, you know, could be really awesome. And this is just a quote from him. Uh, I have spoken publicly on numerous occasions during my life on the unjust internment of Japanese Americans and my ongoing mission to spread awareness of this disgraceful chapter in American history. When the opportunity to tell my story in the form of a graphic novel presented itself, I recognized the value of making it easily accessible for our youth to discover and digest the material, bringing attention to an important and relevant issue while preserving it for generations to come. So... You know, I think that that's a great thing that he's trying to do, and I'm very happy that IDW are the people who got this because I feel like IDW needs this kind of high-profile uh, opportunity to tell some to tell a story that could draw a lot of attention. Um, and uh, it's going to be Justin Isinger and Stephen Scott who are going to write this thing, and then an artist is going to be announced later on. So, really cool stuff, I think. Yeah, something to look out for. Did any of you guys see Allegiance? Oh, the play? No. I think you did, right? You went to go no, see no, it. No, no, no. I didn't see it, but um, that was the Broadway show he did about Japanese internment camps uh, like yeah, during yeah. the fall or summer or winter of last year. There's a, there a whole big brouhaha because uh, the, the Trump campaign made a comment that like, oh, maybe Japanese internment camp was you know justified, to which George Takei was like, well, come to my goddamn play. <laughs> oh, and, he's, yeah, and it was a huge that. publicity thing because he saved him a seat front row like in the center with his name on it every <laughs> single night they did the show wow yeah uh, I feel like especially in these times you know this is the kind of important comic that we need because to be honest you know and, and I don't want to get into a whole political thing but I don't feel like we're that far away from doing something like that again sometimes it feels that way yeah man you know? and uh, you know I mean someone like George Takei is like we don't have a lot of people like that left, you know, like who have like experienced it firsthand and like he's got he's got huge pull, you know, like he's a name that that has weight and people love him. So, you know, like it's great that he's taking the opportunity to use his platform to teach people. Yep. Yeah. And that's that's always been what he's about. So he's one of the rare guys that we have, like you said, Pete, that, you know, that can present something like this in a way that's going to be obviously respectful of the history, but also get the point across that, hey, this is something we want to avoid. Yeah, man. It's like George Takei is like a fucking icon, you know? It's like it's not only like obviously he's important for being in Star Trek, but it's also like, you know, he, he was like the one of the first like Asian men to be a lead character on television. Like he was openly gay, like – or not openly gay. Um, Excuse me. He was like a gay man like, you know – at that time, like really like getting out there and like making a name for himself and being a minority. It's like, it's, you know, uh, he's definitely like, uh, he's a, a pretty, pretty, pretty cool guy. <laughs> when he was doing Star Trek in 1966, 67, everything. I mean, it was a much different social climate. Like his, his sexual identity was unfortunately he had to conceal it for the most part because that was the climate of the time. Yeah. But, but even, 
you know, concealing it from the public is one thing. You know, it's still, in my, you know, in my opinion, and based on my understanding of that time period, it's still dangerous to be that yeah. person because at that time, you know, a lot of people could have found out, you know, yeah, like behind honestly, the he scenes, was a f- famous you know? person, absolutely, you know? absolutely, like, yeah. Uh, so you know, he could have lost out on work. He could have lost out on you know his life. So you know, it takes a lot of. A lot oh yeah, of I'm not taking that away. You know, yeah. Um, so moving on, this is something very awesome. We finally got a very small teaser for the Defender series and potentially a release date. Did you guys get to check this out? The uh, the short teaser. Yeah, it's it's super brief. It's sixteen seconds, and it's just the four defenders: Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and Daredevil in an elevator together. And there is a timer in the right hand corner. And if you pay attention to the timer, just before Jessica Jones, um, just before Jessica Jones punches the camera and and knocks it out, it it lands on a on a certain time. Uh, and so what, what it's revealing is that we're going to get this show on August 18th of 2017. So it's, it's, it lands on 8, 18, 17. So, uh, that's actually very, very close. I thought we weren't going to get this show for some well, time. I knew it was coming out in 2017 and, uh, you know, recently we had the Punisher poster, which is, that's probably going to come out in the fall or winter. So I feel like that lines up timeline wise pretty well. Yeah. Um, it's actually a little later than I was expecting. Well, I guess for me, I was thinking, all right, we'll probably get two shows because that's kind of what they've been doing has been two shows a year. Uh, so I thought, okay, we'll get Iron Fist and we'll get Defenders maybe in the fall and then Punisher after that. Mm. And then, you know, Daredevil. I mean, I guess they're wrapping up. Right. And so my question is, you know, where does this leave us for 2018? What do we get? I mean, they're they're working on... Jessica Jones two, they're they're working on Daredevil three right now. Maybe Iron Fist maybe Luke two. Cage two. Yeah, I mean that's also I think planned already. So I mean, well, yeah, Daredevil hasn't started shooting yet. So didn't they? I has, thought I thought Charlie Cox just the other day said that they were re- getting ready to do it. Maybe they're, maybe they're getting he, ready. Yeah, to. he said. Oh, yeah, true, true, right, right. Yeah, be, I guess they're probably yeah. not like on set yet. Right. So but you gotta imagine I, it that could, it could probably come in twenty eighteen, right? Yeah, it could roll out. It could roll out next year in the fall or something like that. Yeah, come on. Uh, so, Defenders, I mean, all these shows have been good. You know, your mileage may vary on Iron Fist, whatever. Um, but the previous three were excellent. And um, I'm excited to see where they go with this thing. We've got Sigourney Weaver That's playing the villain. So, so, so awesome. awesome. We don't even know who she's going to be playing. I don't even care. I, I, yeah, yeah it doesn't I have matter. a theory real quick on that. Um, there's this one throwaway line in Iron Fist where Madame Gao talks about, like, her boss. And I'm, when I heard that throwaway line, I was like, shit, that's fucking Sigourney Weaver. It probably is. Probably, right? I mean, I'm also going to say, like, Phil, every time that you've made a prediction for one of these shows, it's been at least close to right. Like, you've been in the ballpark every time. So, I, I'm I'm pretty confident that, uh... That she's definitely the 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 linchpin. Yeah. Some, well, she's gonna be some kind of demon entity or some shit. Yeah. I'm ready for Bullseye. Oh my actually. god, dude. He's gotta be showing up in in either Daredevil three or uh, the Punisher, right? Like, man, I Daredevil, can't. I, would say. I can't wait yeah. for Colin Farrell to come back uh-huh. for that role. 
Okay, that's that's what we uh, that's what we for move as time on. together as Bullseye is with Punisher in the comics, like the Garth Ennis run, like that was a really good intertwined. I, I think we're probably gonna do Jigsaw in Punisher, so it's like the way to go. Yeah. So I'm imagining that would yeah. make sense. I'm imagining Bullseye in season three of Daredevil, and that's the way to go too. I mean, those two. I mean, I don't know. Have you guys read the the comics? Yeah, I've I've read some stuff. Some stuff of that. So, I mean, Bullseye kills in the comics, both... Uh, I, I mean, do you care? Spoilers for, like, fucking 20-year-old Daredevil comics. Yeah. yeah like. Elec- Elektra and Karen yeah, Page. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's not going to happen with, Karen, with, with Elektra, but in the comics, he kills Elektra and Karen Page. He's so tied to Matt Murdock's life. Yeah. Yeah. So, moving on. Uh, Marvel is putting together a new Warriors series... With Squirrel Girl as a part of the team, uh, for Freeform, Fox Family, that Fox Family, Freeform, ABC. Family. I know what I said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is going to be a comedy series, um, which is really interesting. Uh, they this this is continuing the relationship that they have with them because they're already putting out the Cloak and Dagger series through freeform in 2018 oh so really i didn't now, realize it was going to be on freeform yeah um I thought that was so gonna it's going to be a 10 or something no yeah it's freeform that's super um, weird i like i don't i'm not sure how i feel about that well yeah i mean i think based on this um news article from the hollywood reporter i got a good vibe because it seems like the people that are spearheading this deal uh kevin beagle being the the person who's gonna show run and uh, write the script i feel like he has a really solid understanding of these characters and he seems to really care and at freeform based on this interview it seems like they're really committed to the squirrel girl character and making sure that the new warriors are presented in a way that's not only funny but that that really gets to the the core of these characters um i don't watch anything on freeform so I don't know how good this channel is. I don't know how great. They well, are I mean, it's stuff. it's you know, it's the network. You know, albeit you know, formerly ABC Family, like it's the network that put out Pretty Little Liars, and you know, they've got they've got a few decent like teen dramas under I their thought belt. Pretty Little Liars was on MTV, really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's on. Uh, yeah. Have I never fucking heard of this channel before? Now, but, well, because it was it was it was ABC, yeah. it was ABC Family. Up until recently, or yeah, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, up to you know a month ago. <clears throat> um, All right, so okay, I, maybe that's fine. I mean, like, obviously, the network has more money than I thought if they put out Pretty Little Liars. So that was my main concern: is just like, why are they putting it on this no-name network? You know, if, I mean, I, I I wonder if it's um if it's still you know connected to ABC Family. That means they've got that Disney money, so. Right, exactly. It it is. It it is. It still is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, so's Agents of Shield, and that's what it is. That show's doing fucking great. I don't. It is now. That's true. Yeah. I, I mean, listen. I'm not a. I'm not a Squirrel Girl person. I don't get it. It's not for me. That's totally fine. It doesn't need to be for me. Uh, but I'm excited for the people who like this character. I'm excited for fans of the New Warriors. Uh, my only concern is shout out to Tyler for the long box. <laughs> he was like super <laughs> excited about this. <laughs> my concern is that it's a it's Marvel's first comedy, 
So we'll see how that plays out, you know. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be bad by any means, but it's their first foray. All their stuff has uh, and, comedic elements, though, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then my, my other concern is that it's on Freeform that doesn't that hasn't put out a, a show with these characters yet. They've got Cloak and Dagger, but that's not coming out for some time. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm curious. As to whether or not there will be connectivity between this show and some of the other shows that Marvel has. That's my question too. Is like, does does this stuff exist in the extended MCU? Like, I'm sure it does. Yeah, but and and who knows? I mean, in the interview, they did talk about that. I'll just briefly read this uh, piece. The question that the Hollywood Reporter posed was: Marvel likes to say that everything is connected. Will Cloak and Warriors be connected the way, say, Agents of Shield and Agent Carter were? And the answer was: It's a great question. If you know these two properties they're not particularly connected there are many degrees of separation with where they fall in the marvel universe but anything is possible with marvel their tone is their tones are so wildly different cloak is this angst-filled achingly beautiful heartfelt romantic drama and squirrel girl is a balls out comedy so we'll see we'll stay tuned to this uh for those of you who are fans of squirrel girl uh i wish you luck get hype So, the last piece of news that we're going to talk about is going to also essentially act as our main topic because it is so massive that we feel like we need to spend time talking about this. Um, Some of this was discussed last week, but Pete and the gang chose to wait to pull the trigger on this for real until Marco and I were here because we have a lot to say on this issue as well. And I'm appreciative of that because this is a topic that's very, very important to me. And I believe it's also important to Marco. Now, what we're talking about is the Marvel VP of Sales, uh, David Gabriel. Uh, He did an interview with ICV2 about this very issue of why the market shifted and why it shifted away from Marvel. Why Marvel's sales have been down and what are the reasons for that. Now, you guys talked about it last week, so I'm not going to read all the quotes and everything from that interview, but I will say that basically what he said was, in addition to other things, right, he said that people, he heard that people were not loving the diversity movement that had kind of unfolded over the last few years of Marvel, and that they're now being hit by the reaction to that in the result, or in the form of slumping sales. So... He after this after he said this there was an explosion in opinions and you know social media and the internet just exploded big time. Uh, and <laughs> he he was also clear to blame DC indirectly. <laughs> he he, he just, did throw just some in case shade, just yeah. in case there was anybody who wanted to fucking rat, fucking throw him on coals for that one too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pure so, nightmare, so man. He did have to you know kind of clarify his statements. Uh, and I want to read uh, the the clarification. He said, contrary to what some said about characters not working, the sticking factor in popularity for a majority of these new titles and characters like Squirrel Girl, Miss Marvel, The Mighty Thor, Spider-Gwen, Miles Morales, and Moon Girl continue to prove that our fans and retailers are excited about these new heroes. And let me be clear, our new heroes are not going anywhere. So that was, that was his quote. Here's my problem with the quote, and then I'm going to open the floor. My problem with this is that it it feels very spinny because even though I feel like what he initially said 
was taken way out of context. I feel like it was overblown. The reality is that in conjunction with what Marvel's plans are going forward, and we know what their plans are, between Generations and everything that's been rumored to come after Secret Empire, you can't tell me that they're not going to put these characters on on the back burner to some degree. Because he's citing books that are on the chopping block, and we already know it. Like Miss Marvel, and Spider-Gwen, and Moon Girl. And Squirrel Girl. They're not going anywhere. Books. Their books are just getting canceled. Right. Those are all books that we talked about a few weeks ago as being books that were looking to be canceled. So how can you say to me that those characters are safe if they're not? I mean, shit, they might you know? be now. Maybe. You know? Maybe. It'd be really easy for them to just be like, okay, we won't cancel Miss Marvel. You know? Right. And, and so I just want to frame the conversation around this that we're about to have. Uh... What do you guys think about this quote, the new quote and the prior quote? And how does this make you feel? Because we've been having this conversation since the start of the show. So in light of everything that we've spoken about, how does this make you feel about Marvel's position on the diversity movement? And not only that, but how the fan base has reacted and what is Marvel and DC's responsibility now that we know that people inside Marvel have recognized that there is an issue between the fans and the uh, and the diversity approach, that it's not connecting in the way that they want it to. Anybody want to take it away? Um, I mean, I, the first thing I want to say is I definitely agree with your, your one statement that, like, I think his original statement was taken way out of not taken out of context but blown out of proportion because like i don't i don't think his words were misrepresented but i think like the intent behind them was was like read into you know that like this was like his personal opinion and you know yeah like nobody wants wants these books and i don't think he was saying that you know he said i've like he basically said i've kind of anecdotally heard that some people feel this way and like that's you know like that is true probably he probably did hear that but he also was clear to say in that same quote that he wasn't positive that that's what was happening. He he mentioned a lot of different factors that he thought were contributing to this slump overall. He also mentioned like the financial situation in our country. He blamed DC in the in his speech that earlier that like conference or whatever. So I feel like what we're getting here is this original interview was very casual and he was just kind of speaking about things he thought might be going on and then the response his follow up was very very calculated in a PR statement yeah he 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 also mentioned that uh marvel uh might not necessarily actually believe that right right and i want to i want to jump in because he said two things that i think are important and i think they were left out of the discussion that people have been having about this he said one there was probably a little too much product going on at that time. So what does that mean? That means that Marvel was publishing too much comics. And there were probably and like 50 comics at one point in like 2015. That, that's, yeah, that's a common opinion. Everyone feels like they're publishing too much. And so for him to say that I think is is very, uh, very important. And people didn't acknowledge that. And then the other thing was that when he was asked a question, the question was, now the million dollar question, why did those tastes change? He said, I don't know if that's a question for me. I think that's a better question for retailers who are seeing all publishers. Now, he's not necessarily the guy who's interacting with those people to be able to specifically say what it is that they're hearing. You know, that might not be him. 
If it's not a question for him and he's answering a question from his perspective as a person who was asked a question, we can't say that this is Marvel's position because he's just a guy. Granted, he is a representative of Marvel in the sense that he works for them, but he specifically said, I don't know that that's a question for me. Yeah, this isn't like an official Marvel statement. Like, he was like, in my personal opinion, or based on what I've been told, here's kind of what I think is going on. I want to say from, like, maybe a a market, like a market perspective, um, comic book companies look at their sales weekly, and um, because they put out books every week and that's not the best way to look at your sales you have to look at it more holistically you have to look at a quarterly or a uh maybe uh like every six months on that kind of a basis to see like a true to tell a true story and um you also have to consider that in this market it's the big two it's marvel and it's dc so there is some validity to the fact that you know, DC is take is, is taking some like some of the, the sales away because honestly that's their competition and they've been to an extent killing you know killing sales with um with with the revert stuff with all the new things that they're doing there. So in order to sort of try to attribute it to one thing, it's not it's not fair, but you do also have to take into account how they're viewing their their business and the reason that their business is also due in part, like the reason their business is soft is due in part to the fact that the, their other, their rival competitor is, does maintain a large portion of the, the share overall. Right. Yeah. That, that does make sense. And I mean, his, we, we've talked about this before, Yeah, yeah. but DC, they, they, they turn away from the, youth movement and the diversity movement that seemed to be important to them during DCU. And you can't ignore this. In conjunction with that turning away, there was a spike in sales. That's just a reality. They stopped focusing on young characters and they stopped focusing on minority characters and all of a sudden people cared about DC again. Well, and I think I think it is probably like worthwhile context to say too though like it might not be a one-to-one thing there. I think you're definitely right in regards to like their superhero books, but it's also we saw DC diversify their offerings in a way that Marvel isn't. You know, like they expanded like with um, you know, like doing the Hanna Barbera line of stuff that was like really successful for them. Sure. You know, successful and, enough and, to and and the young animal imprint. Yeah. Right. I was about true. to get well, to that as well. All those things are true. Um the big thing that they kept thumping uh, around the time of the rebirth launch was, you know, we're going to go back to meat and potato comics. That was the company line unofficially speaking. And the big thing is this isn't the new 52. This is rebirth. And people, you know, these older fans are like, Oh, Wally West is back pre new 52 Superman. All right. I'll look into it. This kind of thing. My Superman's back. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, just generally speaking, for the most part, the rebirth stuff has just been good, and I think I think the the rebirth stuff, and you know, this is sort of beside the, uh, you know, the diversity point. The rebirth stuff happened at a point where Marvel is just rehashing, you know, an old event that didn't do very well. Well, that's true, and I like to think that. The quality of books is the ultimate director of, of sales. I mean, I think on on quantity and on mass, um, 
there's just as many good to bad books ratio from both DCU from all three of DCU, I, yeah, um, DC, absolutely, Rebirth, just, and the New Fifty Two. But what I'm but what I'm saying in this case in particular is that DC with Rebirth got like a lucky shot because Civil War sucked, and you know DC actually started putting out decent books, decent main books. Well, to to Phil's point, the return to meat, like the meat and potato comics, is appealing because it's the return to something familiar. And moving in in, in that way, that's something that attracts those more those older readers, the the larger lapsed share fans. of readers. Yeah, it, it the lapsed fans. You know that'll that'll bring back those people. Versus if you give something people something something new, something unknown. I'm not necessarily saying it's diversity or it's um or it's gender or anything that like you can give them a new white male superhero, but people might, might not necessarily latch on to that immediately. It's the idea itself, the branding around it. That sort of, uh, that was the allure to people. And that's why, at, at least for me is the, one of the major factors that played into um, Marvel, Marvel and DC sort of like shift in the market. DC came in to attract the older uh, like Pete said, lapsed readers while Marvel was trying to change up the game, but they were doing it too often and not giving people time, like that time to breathe and to sort of just ingest the the material that they were delivering. I think on some level, Marvel was trying to cultivate like new readers and like a new generation of comic readers and DC was trying to appeal to established audiences. Yeah, you need that awareness in order to, to sort of uh to hit those new markets and you're going to take a loss at that like you're not gonna that that move isn't to make sales that move is to be like hey we're new we're taking a new stance and that that doesn't take a year that takes like five you know so marvel's going to experience this slump if if they stick to it they're going to experience this slump until those names become like household like miss marvel how long has she been published and um three years i think now that's that's the point I was going to make, uh, piggybacking off what Marco was saying. That's the that's the problem, right? Is that this slump is new, but those characters are not. Miss Marvel's had her own series for about three years. Miles Morales, you know, he's old at this point. Not old, but you know, he's been around. Kind of, I mean, like, yeah, he's know? been around like, for a while. He's yeah, he's not new. Um, the new, uh, the Mighty Thor, Jane Foster. She's not. She's she's had her run for about three years now. Um, these characters are not new to the game. The problem is that people seem to have stopped caring and stopped buying. And so my question is, why? Because if I would agree with you totally, Marco, if we were talking about characters that started being published like last year. Well, um, do you think that has anything to do with it? Like, I, I wonder if it's just that like they're not new and exciting anymore and now they're kind of just falling into like a, a their rhythm. Average reader, their average readership. Like yeah kind of hits and it's just kind of like okay like yeah like we've done everything new that we can do with having jane foster be thor and now we're just telling thor stories without thor so why not just I, bring thor back see that's the thing is that 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 couldn't be any further from the truth in that those characters the stories that they're telling with those characters yeah. are so unique okay yeah because i'm just spitballing i don't know i'm not reading them yeah <laughs> Yeah, and against against Pete Pete's point there, you know, bringing Thor back or whatever. Like, we don't know what Generations is going to look like yet. We don't, but we know that Marvel. I mean, they've said 
in many interviews that they are committed to those characters and that they have heard people loud and clear and that they, they don't want to leave those characters behind. So I don't think there's a question that they're bringing them back. To me, the question is, how are the new characters going to stand alongside these old characters and are we going to have both? Um, when you're talking about the reasons why we're seeing this slump, I come at it from the perspective, and I've said this many times, I don't think that it's an issue of fans being racist and not wanting to see, or racist and sexist, and not wanting to see women and not wanting to see minorities. I don't believe that at all. I believe that there are people like that. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't believe that the vast majority of, of comic book readers are, are racist. I just, I, I choose not to believe that. What I do believe is that the vast majority of comic book readers have been reading comics for over 10 years and want the characters that they started reading comics with to be the same characters that they're reading about I, right uh, now. I believe just, that. The familiar, they, they, want, they want that back. And that's what I think DC took advantage of. DC took advantage of that and, and... Not only that, but Marvel did an absolutely horrible job, in my opinion, a terrible job of introducing some of these new diverse characters. Yeah, fair, the yeah. way to introduce them was not to kill everybody that we care about. Why did Iron Man have to go into a coma for Riri Williams to take center stage? The the, the they they're so stupid. That they killed, they basically <laughs> killed Iron Man, but they kept him around as a as an AI in order to keep Tony, but kill Tony at the same time. Why did he have to go away? Why couldn't you keep him around and have him be her mentor? There's no reason why we couldn't get Tony stories alongside her, and like, or like, sense. yeah, why you couldn't have it just be like exactly, like literally exactly what happened with Rhodey. You know, where it's like, oh, like, Tony can't be Iron Man for whatever fucking reason, and, like, he lets this other person kind of take over and act as, like, a support tech kind of person. Maybe he throws on the armor when things get really dire. It's kind you of know? It's like, kind of what they did, though. Oh, Tony can't be Iron Man for whatever reason. He's acting like a supporting character. But he's, the thing is that he's, it's not, it's not him. It's an AI of him. Right, it's so close to being the same thing, but that distinction is what makes it bad for me as a fan of, of Tony Stark. I want him to be an active character. I want him. Yeah, you're on your soapbox. That's what I'm saying. Oh, oh yeah, I make no bones about it. This is this is this is my thing, right? Like, I think that I represent on this show those fans that feel the voice of the voice. I feel like that. Sean, yes, exactly. Sean, can we please have a YouTube show called Sean Soapbox where I just put you in front of a green screen and you just bitch at the camera for like thirty minutes? I'm, I'm dying for that. <laughs> and 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 mind you, I'm not. I don't like to be negative. I I don't enjoy that. But I feel like Marvel stopped caring about the established fans, and that's not right. In terms of, I mean, right or wrong, whatever, right? But if you want people to buy your books then you need to cater to the people who buy your books. That's not to say that these other characters shouldn't exist. I've said it many times. I love all these new characters. But why did why did um, Bruce Banner have to go away in order for us to get Amadeus Cho as the Hulk? Why? why? Well, I don't I get that. I would, I would say for production reasons and just cost reasons, like it's going to be, you're going to have two books going at the same time and those are, the, the, those are production costs. Those are those are maybe minimums that Marvel might not be able to reach, and we already spoke about they were publishing too many books, you know. So if if you're gonna have if you're gonna have two of every character, 
you know, and to your point, like totally agree. They shouldn't just kill off characters. They should keep them alive. They should keep them active within the universe. But also just looking at it from sales, you know, which one is going to do more and which one should they put the risk in? They, I think they're going all the way with one versus teasing two, but they might not have that, the money behind that um, to support that. that. I was just going to say, um, I mean, I, I think that the point that Sean's trying to make is that you don't necessarily have to eliminate characters altogether. You can have Anomalous yeah, yeah. Cho as the flagship Hulk book protagonist, but that doesn't mean that Bruce Banner has to leave Marvel Comics as a character. Right. Right. I was going to say, what what is um, how is how that's like you just described the the Spider Man scenario. He's got at least three books like that right now. We've got the alternate dimension Spider Gwen. We've got Spider Man, which is Miles Morales, and then Peter Parker is on the Amazing Spider Man, and he's about to be Spectacular Spider Man. And then we have Silk too. Uh, and Silk. We have Spider Woman. So the, I, you know, there's, there's, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I guess my question isn't an ironic, you know, how's that going? But like, how's that going? Like, I'm like, clearly it's doing well. It 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 is it is doing well, and I think part of the reason why is because if you don't, if you, let, let's say you don't care about Miles, right? Like you you can still get your Spider Man. There's. You, you you still get Amazing Spider-Man. It's still Peter doing Peter stuff. Spider-Man's tough go because ahead. he's the flagship character of Marvel. That's what I was going to say. Right. I don't think... Not every character is Spider-Man. Like, I think you can have five or six Spider-Man books. I don't think you can justify that many Hulk books, you know? You're right. That is absolutely correct. But if you look, if you look at what they're doing with Spider-Man, I would argue that all those books are different. And that... You know that that plays a big role. You you can get a lot of different things from your Spider-Man offerings. How much how much variety is there with the Hulk? I don't know, but they didn't try. And I wonder I wonder if this if I mean like they've you know they've tried this before with uh, you know in um, what was it the other storyline you know where they started double shipping the books. It was a testing ground you know to see how that goes. So I wonder maybe that's what this will be. Well. That that's a good point, but but also, um, you you look at like Wolverine, right? They had Wolverine and X twenty three. X twenty three has been around for over ten years at this point. Why why did she have to become Wolverine? Why did why did Logan have to die in order for her to well brand recognition? Right. Okay. But because she, while X, while people know who X twenty three is, more people know who Wolverine is. I also I also think I don't I don't think that was like a one to one thing. Like I don't know if it was necessarily like let's kill off Logan so we can make X twenty three Wolverine because I think it was also like a Wolverine's never like actually died and that's an event we can do that'll like I think you know I think like it's all probably part of the same thing, but I don't know if that's exactly the same as. The other, you know what I mean? Like, I know you're, we're talking about characters being killed off to be replaced, and, like, that happened with Wolverine, but I wonder if the event, the death of Wolverine, was the motivation for that more so than replacing so, him. So, I have a thought I've been trying to bring in here, and this kind of ties in. I, we mentioned, I mentioned this last time we talked about this subject, but it's like, anytime a company or a brand or an IP tries to, you know, I mean, there's a fine line you have to straddle between catering to an existing fan base um, or trying to uh, expand your horizons to a larger new fan base. And this is the kind of thing that sports franchises deal with. Um, like the example I brought up was the NHL. You know, they had a hockey team in Atlanta. 
Atlanta is a top 10 city in the country population-wise. Um, and the idea is that if you brand if you brand this team there, grow the uh, base, you'll make a larger revenue share long-term there than if you put a team in Winnipeg, which has got a very small population. It's not going to grow very much. And while the fans are rabid and are going to consume the product constantly, there's not a large room of growth. And that's kind of the impasse that comic books are at because the market is largely stagnated. So they're thinking, we will, if we can somehow cater to our existing fan base, which is not going to grow, while also trying to cater to either lapsed fans, um, new fans, or people that have never been exposed to this medium, our long-term growth would better impact the graphic medium. And so when they do some things like having X-23 become Wolverine, the people that don't know anything about comics, they don't know who X-23 is, but they know who Wolverine is, chances are. So they think that might have a larger opportunity of uh, brand growth. Okay, fine. So basically what I, what I get from that is that they're trading in the audience for Wolverine, Logan, for the audience and, and attempting to grow the audience for X-23. Okay, my question is, why can't you have that same scenario take place without losing Logan? Because the people who want to read Logan stories, they're not necessarily going to read Laura stories. It's not it's not the same group of people. And I, I guarantee you that there are more Wolverine fans than there are X-23 fans. That's just a fact. So when you get rid of him, what are you what are you telling me as a fan? Well, I think I think what their hope is is that and I, 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 I agree with you because I think um, Miles Morales was the perfect – like I'm living proof of that, right? Like I, I read Ultimate Spider-Man religiously for years and then I bailed out 12 issues into Miles' run because I was just like I don't feel the same way about this character. Well, that's well, that's something I was going to bring up before is the Stuff You Should Know podcast is an episode on empathy. And the big thing they were talking about is like a lot of times when they perform studies on people's capacity to empathize, the thing they'll do is – like they'll show a person getting needle a needle put in their skin, and a person will generally like have a more visceral reaction from their like body, like their like you know their chemicals will flare up more like internally when they see someone of their own skin or gender get that needle placed in their skin, rather than a person of a different skin color or gender, and that kind of thing might be transferable to comics, and that people might just not be interested in reading a book about someone of the opposite gender of a different skin color. That's leading a title of a book. I don't know. Just a thought. I I I actually want to talk about that because I felt like that's where you were going to go, and I think that that is something that you can't ignore. You know, I don't, and I don't think that. For example, you don't have to like everything, right? Like, if a if a story about a black character doesn't resonate with you, it just doesn't resonate with you, and and it's not. It doesn't make you a racist. It doesn't make you a bad person. That none of that matters. The story just doesn't resonate with you. That's fine. You know that that can happen, and I think that when you're when you're publishing these books or when you're you know in any medium, you have to be cognizant of things like that. But that doesn't mean that you don't give us the opportunity to read stories about people that are different from us. I love reading uh, Miss Marvel and um, uh, X twenty three or All New Wolverine because, in large part, I don't understand them. You know, I don't I don't. Like, that's not my life. And so I get to read about characters who are living lives that are different from me uh, beyond the obvious of them being superheroes, right? Um, but they're women, they're minorities of, of, that are not 
you know, black. Like, I love that. I love that I get to do that. But not everyone is going to feel that way. And for those people, if you want to, you know, in my mind, you cast the widest net you can. And you reel everybody in. And it, it shouldn't matter. Oh, well, I feel like we need to have more diversity. So screw Wolverine because he's a white guy. Screw Thor because he's a white guy. Screw Hulk because he's a white guy. I don't believe in that. I believe let's get Thor and let's get uh, Jane Foster Thor. Let's get them both. And if people like both, keep them up. You know, why not? I don't I don't understand why you can't have that. And then just to, just to take this back to DC, DC said, okay, well, people want... Um, People want the traditional Flash, so we'll give them the traditional Flash. But if you read that Flash book, there are three Flashes in it. So everybody gets um, everybody gets serviced by that one comic. There aren't three Flash books. There's one. And, and, and they're all there. And for me, as somebody who likes the Flash but doesn't know a ton about the character, I get to see everything. Um, That's what I want. The, the only issue there is uh, ultimately someone is going to get the spotlight over someone else. And some people get real pissed off about that. The big example was Jeff John's Green Lantern run when Hal Jordan was in the forefront. And there's a lot of people who are John Stewart fans. There's a lot of people who are Guy Gardner fans. And there are a lot of people who are Kyle Rayner fans who were very frustrated by those three characters being cast to the side for Hal Jordan. Okay, that's a fair point. But look at what DC has now. DC has a book called Green Lanterns. And who are the stars of that book? Uh, Simon Baz, and then unfortunately I can't remember her name, Jessica something, I can't, I can't remember her name, but she's a Spanish woman, and he's um, um, Arabic, so you like that book is really great, and it's published alongside Hal Jordan and, uh, and the Green Lantern, and the Green Lantern Corpse, all those books coincide, but that wouldn't have been possible if they didn't build a base with Hal Jordan, you couldn't have had it. Well, I mean, at the at the same time, there was a book being published co- uh, coinciding with that uh, Jeff Johns Green Lantern book called Green Lantern Corps that featured all the other uh, Green Lantern characters. But again, it put all these characters are pushed to the side for Hal Jordan, and this pisses people off. I think, Sean, also to, um, to a point I was trying to make earlier, but is also inspired by something that you just said, you've made the point regularly about how when the big two do try to like introduce books starring new characters like they often struggle and i think that's the big motivation for having these characters take over the best-selling well-established books that are fronted by these characters that they love because the hope i think is that yeah like you love logan and you love wolverine you love you love this comic every month and like you maybe you're casually familiar with x23 and they hope that you'll stick around and w- read this new Wolverine stories, you know? And, like, yeah, you'll miss Logan, but, you know, you'll love Laura, you know? And and I think that's what their hope is. But I, I don't think it always plays out that way. And sometimes maybe it does, but I get what you're saying for sure, but I think that's their that's their aim there. Totally, but you can, you can introduce them in, like, the main title, like, right? But so you can introduce Riri, right, in, into the main title, but then at some point, Tony Stark's going to spin off into his own Iron Man series. like, And that'll be like the way to do it. So in order to get the people under, like what you were saying, to get them under that name recognition and then still have Tony for people who want to read Tony. I think you're right. Or, or at the very least, you have like a character like Riri be around for like a few years maybe as like a supporting character to Tony or as like his sidekick or whatever. And then you have her take up the mantle when it feels appropriate. So it's not, oh, here's this new character who's Iron Man now. It's like, oh, you know, it's more of like a man. I really wish we could have got more stories as Dick as Batman. 
you know right and and that and so the riri point is to me that's probably the best example of how this goes wrong there's no one that can argue like i would love to hear the argument that the way she was introduced and then made iron man was handled properly it was so unbelievably bad that i was offended as a fan in the sense that you're gonna tell me that there's no build-up at all to to tony um to Tony's, you know, disappearance. At that point, they had two Iron Man books being published at the same time, right? And then Civil War comes around. He is put in a coma, unceremoniously, randomly. And then Riri Williams, a character who at that point had existed for probably about six months and had made a handful of appearances in Iron Man's book and hadn't been established at all, is suddenly the new Iron Man, and I'm supposed to accept that? Why? <laughs> Why? Just because. You know? Because we wrote it, Sean. Yeah, there's no... It it just didn't make any sense. And it's like, okay, cool. So I've been a fan of this character for like whatever. 10 plus years. Now he's gone. You're giving me this new character. I feel like I should drop the book because of it. I didn't because I like her. Um, But a lot of people probably did. Again, yeah, man. I'm, I'm sure they did. You know, and like, and yeah. I don't, and I, I agree with your point that I don't think it is because people are racist or sexist or anything like that. But I think it's just like, in what other medium does, like, does that happen and people are, are okay with it? You know, where it's like you, it's like, it's like the thing of like, if you're watching a television show and then the, they write out the main character and it's like, we're going to keep it going with these supporting people, you know, or the people who are left over. And it's like, some people are going to stick around, but some people are going to be turned off by that and they're going to bail. You know, and like, and in this case, it's not even like that because it's not even like, a, oh, we're getting rid of the main character, but here's all these characters you've grown to love over the last few years. It's here's this brand new character who's taking over. And like, I get why that rubs people the wrong way. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And I, I don't know. I feel like Marvel, you know, they made a lot of excuses and or at least this guy, David Gabriel, did. He made a lot of excuses. Some of them were valid. Some of them were not. But he never he never commented on the fact that the way they went about this was just really poor. Like, it just, yeah, it's very sloppy. It's very sloppy, and it's not considerate of fans who have been around for a long time. Well, and I don't it's think it's not. considerate of these characters that they're hoping to establish either. You know, it's like it, it doesn't it doesn't have like a long game in mind. You know, like to Marco's point earlier, like they're concerned with the week to week, not the month to month or the year to year or the like, yeah, maybe this character is not selling great now. But if we take or, you know, we take the time to establish them over the years, they can be a character that we make a lot of money off of. Not every character is going to be Gwenpool or not Gwenpool, Spider-Gwen, you know, where you get that one story that makes them take off and then you can keep iterating on it. You know, like I think it's stupid to try and do it that way. You made a great point that I don't want to go undersold. The fact that they look at they look at this thing week to week, like Marco said, they look at the sales from week to week, but want to throw out a new character with very little context is basically saying, like, you might as well be saying, eh, we don't give a shit about this character. We're just going to throw things at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, it's like they're because, throwing it to the wolves, and then they can be like, oh, look, it doesn't work when we put a black female character at the front of a book. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, not yeah. when you do it like that. <laughs> how can the book succeed if the, if your if your margins are that thin that you can't support a book being on its own for a few months right and seeing if there's an audience there if you can't do that then how can you put out a new character and just say yeah let's see what happens you don't care 
There, there's no way you care. Miss Marvel had no buildup. She just came out of nowhere. And the it's, it, I mean, it, it's it's managed to find success, but that's not because of Marvel. That's because of the writer and the artist who care. Well, and I think I think even like maybe more importantly, I think it's because of like the the news pop. You know, like it's it's that like oh, there's a new teenage Arab American superhero who's a woman. You know, and like that is a that's a headline, and that gets people to go read the book. But then, like, how long does that last? And that only works so many times. You know, like I think at this point the oh there's a black teenage iron man who's a woman like that didn't have as much weight it didn't pop as hard as that because it's not new anymore now it's a thing that like we're kind of a little desensitized to they got to you know glenn beck's outrage with uh miles morales and you know that that has carried miles morales through but and they built off they built off this this um internet thing around donald glover with that you know where it was like oh you know, like it was inspired by that, and you know, like th- there were that was again, it was a new novel thing then, and they were killing Ultimate Spider-Man, which was a big deal. Yeah, I, I, I just don't, I don't get what it is that they're doing, uh, and and I, and it's a shame that they may pull back on this and you know go back to the way things were, which I'm excited for, but I'm not excited for the possibility that all these characters are. Um, are going to go by the wayside as a result. Yeah. That it feels like an overcorrection. Like it, it feels like what like I, I, what I always like criticize Nintendo for doing with their like B tier um IP where it's like something like Star Fox where it's like they let it get farted out and then like oh see no one no one buys Star Fox games and it's like yeah cuz you you don't put any fucking like care into it. You know? It's like if you let like your A tier talent and you really like took some time and like really let this idea develop yeah, it would resonate, but, like, the way you're trying to just fart it out there and see what happens, it's not going to land. Like, nobody, there's not enough of an audience that are, like, ravenous for new comic books for it to be that way, you know? It would be different if this was an industry or a medium where there was, like, hundreds and thousands of people that were going to comic book stores every week to buy new comics, but they're not, you know? Like, and I, I think, like, it's naive to think that that's going to work. Do any of you other guys want to make a, a final point? I'll go to bat for Star Fox Adventures, and I'll fight anybody <laughs> who's got a problem with it. That game changed. That game's not even. That game's not even the. Problem, that game man. changed my life, and I'll fight anybody who's got something to say. I haven't played the new one. I it looked like garbage. So I didn't. It was. It was. <laughs> Marco, you had a you had a point. Ultimately, Marvel, DC. We're your comics think tank, and we are open for consultation at any point. Let us know. You know how to contact us at the Comics Pals. We're cheap too. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Phil. Well, I guess my final point is, I you know, don't read any books by Kale Ward because apparently Kale thinks that he is his own dream author for his own book, and I get that. I get that, and that you know he wants to be a writer in the industry, but that conceitedness, you know, I can't handle it. In terms of like author diversity, you're not gonna get anything from Kale Ward from Kale Ward. <laughs> so I, I I wanted to close this conversation out with something that G Willow Wilson wrote. Now, G Willow Wilson is the writer of Miss Marvel. That's kind of what she's made her her name on. Um, 
and she's a big reason why that book has been successful. But she had a few she she wrote a blog about this that I thought was pretty great and I you know I recommend you go read it on gwillowwilson.com. But I'm just going to pull a little bit of it and read it for you guys because I think it sums up uh, this conversation really great. Uh, so under this in this blog, it's, it, this piece is titled Stuff That Is Entirely Avoidable. One, this is a personal opinion, but IMO launching a legacy character by killing off or humiliating the original character sets the legacy character up for failure. Who wants a legacy if the legacy is shitty? Two. <laughs> that's great (laughs) diversity as a form of performative guilt doesn't work let's scrap the word diversity entirely and replace it with authenticity and realism this is not a new world this is the world three never try to be the next whoever be the first and only you people smell bs a mile away four the direct market and the mark and the book market have diverged never the twain shall meet we need to accept this and move on and market accordingly five Not for nothing, but there is a direct correlation between the quote-unquote diverse big two properties that have done well, Luke Cage, Black Panther, Miss Marvel, Batgirl, and properties that have a strong sense of place. That's in all caps. It's not diversity that draws those elusive, untapped audiences. It's particularity. This is a vital distinction nobody seems to make. This goes back to authenticity and realism. And finally... On a practical level, this is not really a story about diversity at all. It's a story about the rise of YA comics, young adult comics. If you look at it that way, the things that sell and don't sell, and the markets they sell in versus the markets they don't sell in, in all caps, start to make a different kind of sense. So, I felt like she had a very, very uh, good, she has a very good grasp on what the problem is. And what can be done to fix it. And I totally agree. I think back to Marco's comments on the America book. Uh, and how that didn't feel authentic. At all. Uh, felt pandering. Oh, totally. yeah. You said, I think. And I think, and I think I prefer the word authentic to pandering. Because buzzword. I feel like, I feel like the, the, the lack of authenticity in res- with respect to how that book was portrayed and how it just wasn't accurate, that 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 hits me. You know that that hits home for me. Yeah, same. Whereas yeah. a book like Black Panther feels real. It feels rooted in something real. Miss um, Marvel feels rooted in something real, and I, and I think you know Batgirl feels rooted in something real. And so I just really wish that more creators and and these and the big two in particular would think about that. When they're publishing these books, and I think if you do that, you're you're able to hit an audience that might not otherwise give a shit. You know, why do people care about Batgirl? You know, why why do people care about Miss Marvel? I think those are important questions um, that I think we're getting close to hitting on, but we're not quite there yet. And that is a big reason why we're having these issues this right now. In the has end. been Sean's soapbox <laughs> only on the comics class. Sean Soapbox <laughs> supported by donations from viewers like you. Be aware that the Comics Pals will take your money if you want to give it to us. I see we've uh, <laughs> we've we've reached the end of uh, our discussion about something important, and now we're back to silliness, and that signals the end of this episode of the Comics Pals. 
So if you like this discussion, if you like what we've done on this episode, if you're a fan of the show, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at the Comics Pals. Uh, you can leave us a star rating. Holy fuck, Tom iTunes. King just liked my tweet. Shut up, Marco. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, shit, man. That's lame. Jesus Christ. Full circle. That was, uh, listeners, that was 100% real. That was authentic. That wasn't pandering. That's Marco. What was Marco? Oh, Mostly. Shit. Sorry. Continue. So... Uh, you can reach out to us on iTunes, leave us a five-star rating, which I think we earned with this episode, with the exception of Phil. Uh, he's more like a three-and-a-half-star kind of guy. Um, and uh, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com to tell us why you think Phil is a 3.5-star guy. And finally, you can reach out to us on YouTube, which is vitally important. Uh, you can leave us a like there. You can comment on the video. You can share it with your friends, and you can subscribe to our channel. The best way to uh to help us out and support us is to share our content with people that you know if you're a fan of what we do you can help us out by letting other people know that you like us and that we're out here that's how we can grow our brand and get more eyes on this thing that we do so with that out of the way let's do some plugs pete Cool. Um, so thanks for joining us on another episode of the Comics Pals. If you guys want to get some more content from me, you can go check out my writing over at CBR.com. Um, I got a list up this week about Space Ghost and 15 things you might not have known about him. Yeah, that's oh, right. Yo, it's all about Space Ghost. Sweet. Um, so yeah, go check that out. Uh, huge Space Ghost fan. So um, you can help me pay the bills by clicking on that. Um, if you want to check out my YouTube channel, Slack and Slash, you can go to slackandslash.com or youtube.com slash slash where we do a podcast every Monday, Let's Plays, that kind of thing. Um, so if you're a gamer, come check it out. And then uh, if you want to just get with me directly, you can, well, you got to get with my friends first. But afterwards, uh, you can find me at loud underscore Pete on Twitter or Instagram and uh, come talk to me about whatever. I'd love to uh, have a dialogue with you. Awesome. Kale? Well, you uh-huh. can always find me, uh, <laughs> Toto in Toe. <Phil>, you <laughs> stop it. <laughs> you motherfucker. <laughs> actually, that wasn't that bad. That was a pretty good impression, actually. D-O-D-O-I-D. <laughs> uh, as always, I'm going to plug my uh, comics company panels, and uh, I'm going to take a second to uh, actually announce that we have... Uh, a second issue coming out of uh, Sosmonaut the Cosmonaut. Yeah. Uh, it's We're uh, launching it at Edinburgh Comic Con this uh, upcoming weekend, April uh, uh, 15th and 16th. Um, and so we should have that um, in our web store and hopefully on Comixology uh, here soon. Uh, so we're, uh, we're really pumped about that. Sosmo is probably my favorite uh, book that Panels puts out. Um, even though it's we've only had one and it doesn't come around very often. I like Tales so, of the Deep. I I've heard of that book. Yeah. It's I hear the writer's kind of a self absorbed dick. <laughs> it's just what I hear though. So, uh, hey, whoa, oh, hey, sorry, whoa, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> uh you can find us uh you can find our store at selfie.com slash panels publishing. You can find us on Comicsology under Panels Publishing. On Facebook we're Panels Comics on Twitter, we're at Panels Comics with an X. And then you can find me uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Phil, now you, you can go. Um, uh, my name's Phil, and I'm a Phil <laughs> Phil. <laughs> there it is. I, I paused waiting for someone to do an impression of me. 
Um, uh, uh, my top 15 Grant Morrison stories came out on CBR this week. Um, and also yesterday is the top 15 most dangerous Superman villains that also just came out. Doomsday was too low. Okay. Um, fuck Doomsday. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, you can always find me at Twitter and Instagram at CyborgBebop. Nice. Marco. So you can find me on Instagram at woeismarco. And then uh, on Twitter, go check out the tweet that Tom King liked. Uh, <laughs> my my handle there is woeismarco underscore W-O-E-I-S-M-A-R-C-O underscore. Go check it out. He liked it. Beautiful. <laughs> and as we established, I am at Sean Soapbox on Twitter. Uh, I said a lot of stuff this week. So if you want to argue with me about any of it, I would be glad to do so with you. With that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. My name's Marco, and I'm a Marco. <laughs> I'm a Marco, and I'm a Marco. No, I'm Marco, and I'm a Marco. <laughs> New t-shirt idea. <laughs>